Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. What if we focused more on our strengths instead of trying to focus on our weaknesses? That is the premise of my conversation today with Austin Sullentrop. And y'all, he is fantastic. You are going to want to be sure to take notes, pay attention, because in this episode, we don't go through all of the 34 strengths that occur in the strengths finder assessment, but we talk about why it is so important to focus on strengths within ourselves and within other people. And he is going to give us a four question blueprint that I believe every one of us need to write down and actually start using in our relationships in order to treat each other better and recognize and appreciate each other's strengths even more. I am so excited to dive into this episode with you. Share it with a friend. You are going to want to share it with all of your friends. Share it with your wife, your husband, your kids, if they're old enough to listen to it. You are going to want to share this with people you work with because this is incredibly powerful. Let's dive in. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. These are the four areas of attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, as we speak with other experts around the world on how to become the most attractive that you can be. Create confidence and find happiness. We will teach you how. It starts with attraction. And it starts now. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. Austin, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about strengths. I'm very excited to have this conversation, but first tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do and how you got to be in, in the role that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, my name is Austin Sullentrop and I get the, the really cool pleasure of working for Gallup as our Clifton Strengths portfolio manager. So really, my job is to lead our global strategy for how we grow the adoption of the strengths-based mindset, right? So if you think about workplaces and communities and schools and any organization around the world that's trying to uh, drive a strengths-based culture, um, I sort of connect our research team to technology and product development and education and marketing and sales, all that sort of, all those different teams, I quarterback that team behind the scenes to make sure we're creating the right content, creating the right research paths, the right products that can help communities, organizations, cultures um, grow the, the usage of strengths. So it's it's really cool work. Uh, it's always fun to be able to help uh, anybody who's trying to advance this kind of thinking uh, and drive a better, better culture. Um, I, my background before I got in this role, I've worked for Gallup for about six years. Um, I was a, a consultant where I traveled the world and taught courses and gave keynotes and executive presentations to companies, uh, do a lot of executive coaching, which is fun and, and a passion of mine. Um, before I joined Gallup, uh, I worked for a, a major regional bank, uh, about 24,000 people where I led our strategy for a leadership development and employee engagement where I worked with Gallup as a client. So I've been on both sides of it as a client and as a consultant. And uh, now I'm really, really glad to be able to do things like this, uh, sort of spreading our message more broadly and, and helping people try to create the life they're looking for. Yeah. So 
how did the strengths finder test, and you're going to tell us the appropriate name for that, Clifton, the Clifton <laughs> yeah. strengths test, I believe is what you said it was. Yeah. So how did that come to be? When, when was it developed? How was it developed? Yeah. What is it looking for? Tell us more about the test specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first things um, to understand about it, you know, we refer to it as the Clifton strengths assessment. And the, the reason we, we do this because Don Clifton, uh, was the gentleman who created this assessment. He's the one who created the science behind it, uh, and really led the effort. And Don, uh, Don, you know, he, he had an idea. He served in World War II. And when he, when he got home from the, from the war, he sort of had this idea of, you know, what would happen if we stopped fixating on what was wrong with people and started studying what was right with them. And that thought, that sort of, that sort of curiosity, led him to start studying people who were excellent at what they did. So he, he sort of set off on a life of studying excellence. And out of that, so he, he studied school teachers and principals and, and people of all different kinds of roles and, and functions. And he started figuring out what it was that they all had in common. And so he started mapping what, what he referred to and what we still refer to as all these talents that people had. So talent is what the assessment measures. So we define talent as a naturally recurring pattern of thought, feeling, or behavior that can be productively applied. So all these things that people instinctively do that can be helpful. So Don set off on this research and he spent, God, the better part of 30, 40 years of his life doing this. And he took all these thousands of talents and he mapped them into 34 categories. We call them themes. Think they had something in common. So, for example, uh, people who were really good at thinking out loud and sort of processing their thoughts or telling stories and capturing an audience, he figured out these kinds of talents had one thing in common, which was communication. So we would call these talents communication talents. So you take the assessment, you may see... Uh, that you have communication as a, as a one of your top themes, but there's different ways that communication can show up in different people. So when you take the assessment, you sort of answer uh, questions, uh, sort of they we pair the, uh, sort of ideas or, or, or different sort of options and say, which one's more like you uh, on, on a sort of different liquid scale. And you compare the two after you answer all of these, you get a report out of either your top five which is where most people start of your top five themes out of 34. But each of us have a full ranking of one through 34 sort of on the spectrum of where they, they fall. And so uh, that's sort of what it's measuring is your core talent sort of categorized into 34 different themes. Uh, that's sort of the, the core of it. It is developmental in nature. That's one of the things I love about it. It's not, it's not designed to be, here's what you're good at. Here's what you're bad at. <laughs> it's designed to be, if you're trying to be great at anything, here's your path. Leveraging these talent themes, this is going to be the easiest path for you to be excellent is by doing these kinds of things. And so that's sort of at the core of, of the assessment and what we do. So 34, that's a lot. I, oh, yeah. for some reason I thought it was 16. So I'm not going to have you go through all 34 yeah. of them, but when you're looking at Okay, so let's look at the ones that someone is hiring where they're more natural, they're more natural talent. So yeah. what number of those are you looking at the top three, top five? I mean, top 10. How many of yeah. those should you be looking at to assess what it is someone may want to do with their life? Absolutely. Most of our most of our users and most people, um, they start with their top five. So the top five gives us a really solid foundation to understand what they look like, to understand. And the thing about sort of studying our own talents is because they are innate and they're so natural for us, we read about them and we realize, well, I didn't realize that was even a, a positive talent. It's just how I behave or who I am. So what's really powerful is becoming intentional about those things, right? So I think about, I, I share sort of the example of communication. So my entire life as a child, I was always told things like I needed to, um, I needed to listen more. I needed to talk less. I needed to, you know, spend more time uh, hearing others and less time sharing my own ideas. Right. 
all this sort of thinking around how to harness this instinct I had to, to think out loud and to share ideas. I was, I was, you know, in my twenties and, and married and working in corporate America before the first time that I had all those instinctive behaviors positioned as a good thing and positioned as something that could help me be successful versus something I always need to be managing. So the power comes in when you reposition these instinctive things you do as positives, right? And so being able to understand that not everybody is comfortable instinctively sharing their thoughts in a group. That's something I do that's unique that not everybody can do. So how do I leverage it to be helpful? How do I leverage that to make me uh, more productive, more effective, uh, and sort of closer to the best version of myself I can be? You told a story in your TEDx talk, which I loved. Will you tell that? Will you tell the story about being in high school and taking all these AP classes and what happened? Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, it was sort of the first, my first real experience around this, this strengths-based idea uh, and how it impacted my life. So I grew up in a house where um, my parents were incredibly supportive. I had a fantastic, what I would consider to be a, a great, great home life and great family. Uh, the kind of family where the expectation was you made great grades and that was sort of the, the norm. And so first semester, freshman year of high school, right? It's sort of anxiety for a lot of, a lot of kids that age. Um, got my first report card, uh, three A's, two B's and a C, right? And I was excited because I would always been thinking about, hey, don't mess up your first semester. Don't don't dig a hole that makes it hard the rest of your career to, to get out of. You got to make good grades to get into a good college, right? That was the mindset. And so I come home with with these this report card, and I'm excited. I'm proud. I'm, I'm thinking about the the three point five seven I had just gotten, right? And when I when I had the conversation at home, it didn't exactly go as I thought it would. First thing uh, that happens in that discussion, my, my dad looks at me and says, what are we going to do, do about that C? And just sort of completely overlooked the three A's in AP classes, completely overlooked the, the two B's and went right to the one thing that I was, I was average in. And immediately, uh, all the excitement, all the energy, all the pride I had was sort of just taken out of me. It was uh, deflating to have that conversation. In my mind, I knew exactly what I was going to do because that C was in Spanish. <laughs> and so I just said, uh, I'm not going to take Spanish again. I, I've fulfilled my obligation uh, to, to get my high school credit. I'll move on. But it was indicative of the culture, the culture of sort of focusing on our deficits, focusing on what we struggle with. And I think that my experience was very consistent with a lot of other teenagers, a lot of other adults in corporate America or in any workplace where you have an annual review or you sit down for performance appraisal with your manager and the conversation almost always goes to, here's what you need to work on. And we gloss over our successes. When what we know, and the research we do at Gallup for for decades has shown this, if you can study your successes and understand when you've been great, and try to recreate that more frequently, you have a better likelihood of, of success and, and joy in life than always thinking about the struggles and always fixating on the failures. So that's sort of, that's sort of a, a very formative experience in my youth. So is there ever a time to focus on those deficits or the, mm-hmm. the things that you struggle with? I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just so ingrained into how we think mm-hmm. and into culture that even when you begin to celebrate the good things or celebrate someone's strengths and help them focus yeah. more on that, there's still always this, this secondary part of, and here's where you need to improve. And here's the thing you need to do differently. So how do you balance those two without deflating someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we have, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to our our partnerships and our teams, whatever you're a part of, we have a responsibility to manage our weaknesses and be really clear. Like we all have things we have to do. So we have responsibilities to create certain outcomes, whether that be a, uh, a job, whether that be uh, creating a, you know, a, a high functioning sort of effective 
home or in household or, or marriage, whatever it is you're trying to do, we all have a responsibility to create that outcome. So if we consistently struggle to create that outcome, we can't just ignore it because it's not a strength. <laughs> what we have to, res- what, what I would sort of advocate for is how are we thinking about how we're going to do it? If we're going to, if we have an outcome, not all of us are going to create it the same way. We're not all going to approach it the same way. Understanding our strengths would give us a map to how we create that outcome. So, for example, that going back to that simple sort of high school Spanish thing, why was I getting a C there, but getting an A in science? What was different in those experiences? I can very clearly tell when I start studying the differences in science, I had partners that I could get with and talk through the content. I love to think out loud. I love to partner with people. So I would get with a a team or a group and study together and talk through the content and and sort of learn with each other. When studying Spanish, what what could I not do? I couldn't speak the language. (laughs) Literally makes it hard. It makes it hard. So my preferred way of learning didn't work as well in that environment. So I struggled. So I had to think about a different way of approaching it. Right. And so that's the, that's the power of strengths is understanding like my strength at being an external thinker and being somebody who, who thrives when in partnerships with others. It wasn't happening in Spanish because I was just sitting there reading a book and not, not making sense of it. So I think that's the, the thing. So I think about, you know, my, my marriage, my, my job as a father, my job in, in, in sort of my employment. I'm always looking for people to partner with that I can bounce ideas off of. I've been most successful in all of those when I think and I share my ideas out loud. If I sort of, if I'm by myself in thought only, that's what leads oftentimes to sort of thought spirals. And, and I, I spend too much time thinking and not enough time doing because I need to get those thoughts out of my head. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I love that. So what I heard you, what I heard you say was there's going to be projects, tasks, things that all of us need to do because it's what's required of us in multiple areas of life. But when we're aware of our strengths, we can all get to that end result differently Absolutely. when we allow ourselves to do it the way that we're best at, that comes more naturally, that, mm. that we just do, do better in. Absolutely. And, and what we found for, for, you know, again, for 50 plus years of researching this, what we have found is there's an element of, of me, so me understanding my strengths and how they show up, that's obviously a critical step. But whoever I'm working with, there's also an element of we to it. An element of, okay, if I know this about me, how do I share that insight with the people that matter most to me so that we can understand how we work together? So how, how, how am I going to share with my partners, my most my, the, those people with whom I work the most frequently or my spouse or, or my kids? How do I explain to them and share with them what my strengths are and how they see them? That's a conversation that's just so eye-opening uh, and something that I love having with different groups of people and getting them to tell me how they see my strengths show up. What do they like about working with me? So I can do more of that to sort of better strengthen our relationship. It's a really fun, it's a really fun aspect of all this. Yes. It sounds like a super fun aspect. So give us, give us an example of how you can have some of those conversations. So what could that look like either at work to go to someone Mm -hmm. or in your home to go to, you know, your wife, your husband, your kids and, and talk about your strengths or share your strengths with them and then have that conversation go both ways. Give us some tips for that. Yeah. So there's, there's, um, one of the things we're very intentional about at Gallup is when we create resources, um, one resource can be used in multiple settings, right? So I'll start with, you know, how would you use your report? So you take the assessment, you get a report. How could you just use your report, nothing else, to sort of facilitate some of these? 
So one uh, simple activity we often do is you, you get your results and there's going to be some paragraphs and some, some bullet points that describe the theme and how it shows up to you. So at the me level of it, if I'm trying to understand myself, I may go through and read that report and highlight or circle the, the phrases that really stand out to me. Like, okay, I really identify with that. And it's going to sort of help me claim a little bit around this is how I, I appreciate this about myself. Well, I might do the same thing with my manager or team or my spouse and say, hey, I just took this assessment. I'd love for you to take 10 minutes, read this report and highlight the, the words or phrases that you think really describe me well, that you see me demonstrating. And then you can have a conversation about examples of well, when have you seen that? I'm trying to be better at X. I'm trying to be more open or I'm trying to be more uh, consistent in how we talk with each other. And, and you can frame the conversation from what do they see in you? It's really, it's really fun. Um, it takes a level of trust to do that, but I think that's, that's one simple way. Another way uh, is by opening up the conversation in terms of how you can share what you believe about this and getting that to start a dialogue. So we have a tool we use, uh, we call it the best of us. Um, and it's a great conversation. It's four questions. Um, and it sort of starts with youth answering these for yourself and saying, here's when you get the best of me. So what are the scenarios, the situations where you get the best of me? Here's when you may get the worst of me. Here's the situations and scenarios where I'm not going to thrive. I'm going to struggle. Here's what I need from you as my partner, as my manager. Here's when, here's what I need from you. And here's what you can always count on me for. And so think about how that changes contextually, right? So again, I think about my wife, right? My wife, uh, I've long described her as the humane society for people. Um, she, she's got her, her talent theme. She's got things like includer. So she loves to bring people in. It hurts her to be excluded or to feel like she's excluding people. She always wants people involved. She's got things like developer, which is sort of this idea that she, always sees the potential in people. She'll never give up on someone because she always knows what they could be. She's also got positivity. So she's got this sort of outlook that things that she's always believed. Yes, is the answer. She's got a lot of caring relationship oriented talents. So when I talk to her um, and sort of understand how she works and I ask her like, okay, when are you at your best? Well, she's at, at her best when she's in that group setting and she can pull people in and she can create an environment where everybody feels like they belong. She's at her worst when she has to make a decision on who is a yes and who is a no. When she has to narrow the group, it stresses her out and it creates um, a sense like she might be doing someone a disservice. So she does not like those situations where she's got to, um, make a decision on who should be involved and who shouldn't. That's a, that's a tough thing for her. Right. And so it's understanding, am I asking her to do things she enjoys or am I asking her to do things that may, may cause her, um, unnecessary stress? Can I take things on in our relationship that can take stress off of her? Right. And so that's sort of where it, the, the discussion can, can be applied in, in different settings. Mm, those are. Fantastic. I wrote down all of those, those four, mm. because what great questions just to ask anyway, right? I mean, especially yeah. when you have the the strengths that you can relate them back to and have a shared communication and vocabulary on, but really great questions. So you said one thing I wanted to ask you about yeah. of the 34, 34, right? Yes. So of those 34 themes, the talent themes that come out, are they broken down any further into any other mm. groups? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So uh, we wrote a book uh, many years ago um, called Strengths Based Leadership, and it was really focused on how the how the the concept of Clifton Strengths um, sort of shows up through the, the lens of being a leader. And in that research and in writing that book, we introduced a, a framework where we, we, for the first time, did categorize these themes into four domains. 
And what these domains are is ways to think about sort of what do these talent themes have in common? And so it's, it was not part of the core research, right? It wasn't like when Don was creating these, uh, he labeled them this way initially. It was more after seeing them used and after seeing them in practice for a couple decades, what did we start to notice? And so we, we did have, we have four domains. The first domain is around executing. So these are the themes that are, you know, people that have a lot of executing talents, they're at their, they're at their best when they're, when they're busy, when they're getting stuff done. If they're being asked to do something, they're the kind of people who are going to feel um, most productive when they can check things off their list and sort of go through and, and get that sense of accomplishment, right? So they're the kind of people you're going to want to leverage to help you get things done. The second uh, domain is really about relationship building. So these are the kinds of people like my wife, right, who, who thrive in building authentic relationships. And so their focus is going to be on people. It's going to be on sort of the emotional impact of decisions. And when they're asked to do something, they're oftentimes going to think about who's involved. How do we get other people's opinions? How do we ensure we understand how it's going to impact those around us, right? The third domain is uh, around influencing. So these are the kinds of people who have, who have a lot of talent around getting others excited, getting other people to act, uh, sort of traditional aspects of, you know, standing up, taking charge and, and driving a group forward. So this is one that, um, oftentimes is sort of uh, perceived as less common in our database, right? Because um, there's some talents in there, things like command, self-assurance, um, significance are three of our less frequent to see in people. And we'll talk, I can talk about that in a little more detail later, but it's, it's the domain that really is about other people influencing action. And then the, the fourth domain is what we call our strategic thinking domains. This is like, these are people who thrive cerebrally, a lot of thought and, and action in their head. So they're going to think through things. They're going to understand data and, and analysis and details. They're the kinds of people that are going to do their best when they have time to process information. They're going to be at their best when they can poke holes in a plan and come up with alternatives and be really prepared for situations. So again, there's there's no best domain. There's no worst domain. It's just sort of understanding how they're going to get things done their most effective way. And so when we look at groups or we look at teams, we oftentimes sort of map the team out across those domains to understand where people contribute, where are they going to be at their best? How do you leverage people in certain situations? And it really starts to make sense of why certain people may thrive in certain situations. Do you see or know if there's any correlation between the types of strengths or even the, or uh, the types of talents or even the types of domains that people fall into and other personality assessments like a disc or a Myers-Briggs, do you see overlap? That's a great question. Um, and generally no. So as a broad, as a broad answer, I'd say, no, we don't see much correlation because uh, oftentimes they're measuring different things. I think that's the, that's the important thing to understand. I'm a big fan of DISC. I use it for a long time. Um, my old organization, I did workshops where we would overlap DISC results and strengths results, right? And sort of understand how they may show up differently. Because DISC is oftentimes really about like communication and very focused on how we interact with each other. I can have the same DISC profile, but a completely different set of strengths and it's going to influence how they may materialize, how they may show up. So there isn't a whole lot of direct correlation there. What we, what we do see is we do see that certain cultures, right, may drive disc profiles more commonly. Certain cultures may drive or value strengths profiles more than others, right? So if you work inside of an, of an organization, for example, that really values, um, confidence and bravado, right? You may spend more time investing in certain talents that you have around public speaking, around taking charge, around making decisions, because culturally your organization really values that. It's not going to change how you're hardwired, 
But those things may be more prevalent in terms of top of mind because you are spending more time thinking about it and focusing on it. So it's more likely to show up in a disc profile than it is in a strengths profile because you're actively doing it more frequently. But because we're trying to measure core talent, it's less about what you're doing day in, day out, and more about your instinctive way of doing. So like my disc profile can change in different settings, right? So I'll tell you, in a career as a consultant and a course leader, 45 degree outer rim eye. Like I was the guy who, um, you know, always the life of the party, always the energy source and just brought that to every situation because that was oftentimes the role I was playing. Right. And that is what felt comfortable for me. Um, at home, oftentimes, um, much more centered, much more sort of a, a sort of flexible in my style because it, it was, it wasn't a certain role I had to play day in and day out. Well, there is a correlation between that because from a strengths perspective, I'm high in empathy, right? So I, I, I feel emotion very close, very clearly, and I'm high in adaptability, meaning I'm very comfortable in ambiguity and sort of changing direction. So at home, in my personal life, from a disc perspective, those strengths would influence how my disc profile showed up, depending upon who I'm around, depending upon the situation. Because that's something I do really well instinctively is I adapt and evolve to the scenario. Yeah. So the, so the strengths finder, mm-hmm. you said it measures the core talent. Does it, you also mentioned earlier, it's developmental, mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask, so does that mean that your strengths are going to change over time or do they more or less stay the same because they're a core of who you are, yeah. whereas disc does change over time. I mean, mine yeah. changed from when I was in college to now being, you know, the CEO of an organization. It's way different. So, Absolutely. are strengths the same? It's a great question. Um, I love your question so far, by the way. Um, so, it's probably one of the most common things we're asked, and we just published some new research on this, um, sort of in a formal white paper, because we get asked about it a lot. So again, I'm going to go general answer first and then, then dive and then deeper. Go deep. Great. G- general answer is they don't change much over time. Okay. Um, so the test retest reliability as we study this over time uh, is remarkably consistent. Um, so that that's saying we have about 26 and a half million responses in our database right now. So we have a large number a of large data points. sample size. <laughs> right. And so when we right. we are able to study and the, the more we get, the longer it's around, the more we're able to study the longitudinal impact, and the longitudinal change of this. Right. One of the things we, we love about the work we do from a science perspective, from the sort of the, the data junkie in me side is we do a lot of work with college students. So we have about about 700,000 college freshmen every year that are taking the, the assessment, sort of entering our database. And we're able to then measure over time how their results change. It's really, really fun research. Um, and so what we see in general, remarkably consistent, uh, does not change much. If you look at the top 10 that an individual has, about 0.76 um, sort of reliability year over year. So it doesn't shift much in, in that sense. What we've found is when it does change, why would it change? That's been the, the, the newest learning is what would be the kinds of things that would drive change in some of its results. And so what we found is it's a combination of a couple things. One is how long had it been since you took it the first time? In combination with how old were you when you took it the first time, right? So if I'm, if I'm 20 years old, I'm in college, uh, I'm sort of maturing and learning who I am when I took it for the first time. And then I took it the second time at 35. It's we would expect to see more change in that kind of an individual because of the fact that they've almost lived twice as much of their life at that point. There is going to be um, shifting and understanding who you are. That would be one reason. However, if I was 30, 30 the first time I took it and 33 the second time I took it, we would not expect to see as much change, right? The second reason would be 
their state of mind the first time they took it. <laughs> so were you taking it in your native language or not? That's a big thing. We're a global tool. We have, uh, you know, 28 languages that we, have, that we offer the assessment in. Um, so were you taking it in your native language the first time or were you taking it in a secondary language? And, and, then, and then we've been able to translate it into other languages. People's comprehension of the assessment shifted. But other one would be, are you in a setting where you forced to take it? Were you part of a program at, at school or at work and you didn't really have an interest in this, but somebody was sort of driving you to do this? So how authentic were you in trying in, in this, in this, right? That's another reason we would expect to see more change in that versus others. So these are the kinds of things we love to research, but as a blanket, no, they don't change much. What does change? This is the fun part, right? What absolutely unquestionably does change over time is how you value and you perceive your different strengths. So as you mature, as any of us mature, we're going to place greater emphasis on certain aspects of our personality and our talents than others, right? So if you, you mentioned earlier, hey, you took it, you know, when you're younger, now you're CEO of an organization, your role has shifted. How you show up every day and what you're responsible for is different now than it used to be. So you may more intentionally do things and focus on certain talents than you used to. We would call that investment. Like, how are you investing in your talents day in, day out to, to leverage them more? So you may have gone through more training, more skill development, more knowledge growth about certain things. It doesn't change your hardwiring. You're hardwired the same way, but you're more conscious. You're more intentional about certain parts of your talents than you were before. So that would sort of make them more top of mind. So we, we may expect you know, something that may have been eight or nine on your profile before, to me, maybe it's four or five now. It's going to move up a little bit. It's not going to go from 33 to seven, right? But it may go from a top 10 to a top five. It's ultimately not a huge shift in your talent profile, but it's, 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 it's raised in sort of your awareness because you've spent time working on it. Oh, that's so fascinating. I wish I, I remember taking it in college mm -hmm. and I yep. wish I had kept the top five results. I remember one of them for sure was woo. Yep. And I remember, yep. cause I thought that is the <laughs> strangest one winning of over others over. Yeah. Um, and maybe the other one or one of the other ones was faith, um, or something like that. But, but I do remember yep. when I took it again, four years ago, and now I want to go and find my results from four yeah. years ago. I wasn't shocked okay. at them because it was reminiscent of what I remembered vaguely from college. So mm -hmm. what you're saying is right. I mean, I think there were some that were different or, you know, I, yeah. I saw or remembered differently, but overall it was the same sentiment of all of them. Yeah. And I remember the word significance. So you mentioned the word significance. Yeah. So which ones are the, kind mm -hmm. of more common? Which ones are more of the least common? And does it matter? So again, we have 26 and a half million people roughly who've taken the assessment. And it's really important when we start talking about this, like, like common and uncommon we do not have a representative sample of the world. <laughs> so it's not like our data on this is saying humans are more likely to have this than that. Yeah. No, all we can say is of the 26 and a half million, here are the, the most frequent and least frequent. <laughs> okay. That's but side it. note though, do you, what yeah. would the number have to be to have a representative sample of the entire world? Oh, it's not so much the number as where the number comes from. Ah, because it has to be representative. So, right. Yeah. And so yeah. we are at Gallup. We, we take data integrity mm -hmm. incredibly seriously. Like we built our, our global brand on, on, you know, being able to use information we collect from a world poll level, from a, a polling perspective to make inferences about people and about society and about what people are thinking. So we apply that same rigor to our, our, our talent science. So it's very important that we don't conflate that because we have 26 and a half million data points, we can draw conclusions from people. We can't because right now our, our data set of these 26 and a half million is heavily influenced by North America, mostly people who are employed, 
mostly who are of secondary education levels and employed, right? So it's, and if we go outside of North America, Japan is our fastest growing market, right? So we don't have cross sections of society and demographics in a way that allow us to draw conclusions of the human race, right? We don't have every language available. We have 28, but not every. So again, so if people took it, they may not be taking it in their native language, which we know influences the results. So you see, so, right. So this is where we, we, we're happy to share what, you know, frequency, but that's what it is. It's, it's, so when we take, uh, when we look at these results, right, we see a lot of people that have achiever, uh, responsibility and learner, for example. Well, why would that be? Well, if you're opting in to take an assessment, right, about to learn more about yourself, learner makes sense. People who are high learner, they love the process of learning. They're always going to be looking for that next thing to read about, that next aspect that can help them. Um, you know, responsibility and achiever, they love to do, get things done. They put this on their to-do list and they, they follow through with it and they're going to do it. Not shocking that, that that those are our, our frequencies. Some of the ones that are less common, like I mentioned, you know, significance. Uh, people with high significance, they think about uh, the impact of their work. They they think very much about they want to create a legacy and, and create and do good things and leave leave a lasting impact. Um, command people who have step up in front of a room and just sort of command that audience. People feel their presence. Uh, Self assurance. Um, people have that sort of extreme belief in themselves and that confidence in themselves above all else. And um, it would make sense. People with those kind of talents may be less likely to be looking for an assessment to help them better understand themselves. They've got it. They understand it. They know who they are. Why would they want this? It, so it kind of makes sense that they would be less likely to opt in. Um, so again, like that's what we see, but it's not like it's overwhelming. And it's not like it is so stark that when we see one of these lower frequency themes, we, we panic because we don't know what to do with it, right? Um, it's just a matter of, in our data, that's what we see. We can't draw too many conclusions from it. Sure. So is competition one of the talents? It absolutely is. It's a talent thing. So for absolutely. those who have the competition trait, it's not a competition to try and get the lower, less <laughs> used ones. Right. Right. In the data set. What, what, what the competition theme from our perspective means uh, is there are people who are, who are really good at um, being driven by measuring how they're doing at things. They're comparing themselves against others. So they may be really motivated by a score, by a scoreboard, or by comparing themselves externally. Right. So you can think about people with high competition as your classic competitor. Really, what we're saying is these people are really good at benchmarking and having and thinking about how they're how they're performing relative to an external factor. Right. I, I'm highly competitive. I hate losing. But I'm driven more by the sense of obligation to myself than I am by how I'm doing relative to somebody else. So I've got I've got more themes that drive like I've got high belief. It's like if I'm going to do something, I believe I should do the best I can. If I do the best I can and I, and I lose, I can be at peace with that. But somebody with high competition, they may care less about that. They may say, no, if I do the best I can and I lose it, I'm not good enough today. <laughs> right? Like that may still be. So I think that's where we understand the, the differences in how they materialize. Yeah. Do you also find, so I've been, I've been doing a lot of just uh, things have been coming up lately talking about values and yeah all of those things. And, you know, there's typically a big list and they say, choose and then choose again, and then choose and yeah. down, you know, two or three. Do yeah. you find that when people are more aware of their strengths, that it also helps them identify their values so that they can make decisions for themselves and their family mm -hmm. and their future easier? Yeah, I think it's a great, we do a lot um, when, when coaching and when training our coaches, uh, we do, we actually have a whole exercise. We, we teach around values and the overlap between strengths and values. So I, I would say values can absolutely change. They can absolutely shift over your lifetime. I know now as a father of three daughters, uh, my values are different than when I was 25 years old and had no kids, right? Um, I also know that today my values are different um, with three kids than they were two years ago in a pre-pandemic world. My values have shifted because of my life's events. So what understanding, I think, how my strengths play into that is 
how am I going to act on my values? If this is what I believe in, if these are the things that are core to who I am, understanding my strengths gives me a a sort of a roadmap to how I live those values out. So um, I've written on this and I've spoken on it in in the past. Um, One of those life-changing epiphanies for me and, and what got me into the role I'm in was realizing that I was not living my values day in, day out in the workplace. This is probably seven years ago. Uh, actually, no, wow, it's about nine years ago now. Um, I was very, so I've got high belief from a strengths perspective and people that have high belief, we're really clear on our core values. We, we know what they are, we're committed, we're unwavering. And I realized uh, through my experience of learning my strengths that I was um, really comfortable bringing my family to work. So people I worked with understood about my kids and my wife and my background and the things I stood for. What I wasn't doing was bringing my work to my life. So my friends, my family had no idea what I did. They didn't understand the kind of work I was in and and the passion I had and how it showed up. And so I realized I wasn't being authentic in who I was and in, in all aspects of my life. And that bothered me. Authenticity is a core value. So it bothered me. It's what motivated me to shift careers and get into leadership development more formally, get into being a strengths coach, and and now in turn uh, leading the, this this sort of global effort around strengths. And it was that intersection of strengths and values that helped open my eyes to it, because I was articulating and telling people this is what I believe in, but I wasn't living it day in day out, and so I think. In a partnership conversation or in a, in a uh, personal relationship conversation, I'll tell you, my wife and I have that conversation every six months to, at least. Where we sit down and we talk about values. And almost every time there's been uh, tension or discomfort in our relationship, it can almost always go back to us espousing a value but not living it. And it happens We get busy, we get distracted, we get focused on the wrong things, but understanding how we bring our, our values to life helps us sort of have a a barometer on if we're living the life we say we want to live. So good. Austin, I could talk to you for probably three more hours. I would sit here and say, let's go through each of these and talk about them (laughs) and talk about how values come up. Yeah. I mean, seriously. So thank you, first of all, for for coming. I'm definitely going to be asking you to come back in the future, but let our listeners know. So I'm going to want to retake my strengths cut test because mm-hmm. if I can't find it, I have to retake it. So tell me and the listeners, how can we go and find that? And is, do we connect with you? How, how does that part work? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, gallup.com, G A L L U P.com backslash, backslash Clifton strengths. That's our website. There's all sorts of content there, um, around a lot of the topics I'm talking about. We've got videos and we've got, blog posts and articles, uh, sort of speaking about the different aspects of the science and the application of strengths. So if you want to learn more, there's great, great content there. There's also a link there where you can purchase the assessment, right? And so you can uh, purchase a top five version, um, which comes with sort of, you know, standard reporting around your top five, or you can purchase your full 34 version, which we didn't dive into a whole lot today, but it's sort of your full map. And we talk about uh, there, you know, your top 10, how to, how to build on and strengthen your top 10 and about your bottom five, those sort of aspects of, of yourself that may not be as natural and how to manage those. Um, so that, and again, all this comes with, uh, you come with sort of online resources and tools to, to help you through it. So that's the best place to go. If you, uh, on that website, we actually have content. If you want to speak with a coach, if you want to sit down and, and engage in a one-on-one deep conversation about your strengths and how they show up for you and how you can leverage them more effectively. There's uh, sort of resources there on that as well. So um, I think that's the, that's the best place to go uh, to get the, what you're looking for. Our uh, support team is available via chat uh, on that website. If you have questions about any of the process there, uh, but yeah, I, I encourage you to go out there and look at it. Um, there's some videos of me and partners of mine and different people out there talking about the, the different aspects. Uh, we have our entire, uh, we have an entire podcast and webcast series 
on Clifton Strengths where we go into more depth about all this. If you want to sort of uh, give yourself something different to listen to uh, every now and then uh, to learn more. So there's a t- ton of options. That's perfect. We will include all of those links in the show notes so that people can, listeners, you can just easily go click, find. I'm going to be taking the total 34 so that awesome. I, because I, I think that's what I've never done. I've only mm-hmm. done the Probably top not. five. And, and I'll tell you, we've shifted our approach in the last, you know, four or five years on this. We used to mm-hmm. only talk about the top five. Yeah. Uh, but it's probably 2018. We redesigned the 34 report to make it easier for people to understand because uh-huh. initially it was overwhelming. But mm-hmm. our, our science evolves. Our under, as more people take it, we learn more. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, it's, we've been able to evolve our toolkit, our toolkit to help people better understand it. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, then I need to take it again anyway. The last time I took it was 2017. So love it. Got to take the new But after you take it, let me know. Happy to, we, we can have a whole conversation about, about your results <laughs> and, uh, and sort of sh- share with the world uh, what your what your strengths really are. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Austin. I have loved our time together. Thank you. When we look at becoming the most attractive that we can be, we know the physical part. There's the intellectual and the things that we learn and learning about ourselves can help be a part of that. The emotional part and how we evoke positive emotions within ourselves and others can also come from taking an assessment like this strengths finder and knowing what our strengths are. But also it's equally as important to know and understand what are you not good at? Not to berate yourself about it and wish that you were better, but to realize those may be things that you need to pair with someone else and allow people who are skilled and gifted in those things to take the lead on that. You don't have to be good at all of it. When I was actually listening to Austin's Ted talk, he said, we don't want to be a jack of all trades because then we don't need other people. And strengths finder is all about realizing we need each other. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. And did you notice what Austin said about how when we are living outside of our values, when we say that we value something, but we're not actually living it out in our life, it can lead to stress and disconnection within ourselves and in our relationships. That is the spiritual part of attraction, living in line with actually living out your beliefs, the things that you value. All of this is so powerful, but perhaps my favorite key takeaway from this episode was the four question conversation, the blueprint that Austin gave us of how we can approach our, the relationships in our lives of how we can approach others in our life to have conversations about our strengths and theirs, the best of us. So the first question is, when do you get the best of me? The second is, when do you get the worst of me? What types of situations bring out the best in me? Which ones bring out the worst in me? The third question is being able to say, here's where I struggle. And realizing first that about yourself, taking the time to have that self-awareness and and really be able to articulate, "This this is what I struggle with and it's okay. And here's what I'm going to need when I'm struggling in that situation. And then the fourth is, here's what you can always expect of me. Here's where you can depend on me because I'm going to show up well in these areas in my life. So I have not had time to really think of these thoroughly as I will. I'm going to have this conversation with my husband tonight. I guarantee it to you because I'm excited to dive into this. Some of the answers I would give to these questions are, so when people would get the best of me would be when I am able to be adventurous, when I don't have a bunch of deadlines coming up, a bunch of stress, but when I'm able to to go out and do things to have fun, not necessarily with a group of people, I'm not talking about like going to parties or anything, but to be able to go out and go hiking, go exploring, when I'm able to dictate my own schedule and there's not a bunch of expectations that other people have put on me, that's when you're going to get the best of me. When I'm able to do things like this, when I'm able to learn and then share with other people the things that I'm learning, I'm definitely an audible processor. You're going to get the best of me when I'm able to bounce ideas off of someone else because that's going to refine what I'm thinking. That's when you're going to get the best of me. You're going to get the best of me when I'm able to tell you my emotions, when I'm able to tell you how I feel and feel like you're there for me that's when you're going to get the best of me. You are going to get the worst of me when I have to put my head in a spreadsheet and figure out math. 
that is absolutely when I am going to get frustrated. When I have a bunch of things in my to-do list or in my email inbox that I just don't have the time to get to, and I feel like I'm letting other people down, that's when you're going to get the worst of me. When I have to do things that I uh, that I don't understand their purpose or their significance because it's not making a bigger impact, that's when you're going to get the worst of me. You're going to get the best of me when I'm doing something that I know is going to have a positive effect on a lot of people, like doing this podcast, like many of the things that I'm able to do with speaking and things with Marriage Helper. If it has an impact and it's going to help people, it's when you're going to get the best of me. Also, when I can win. I absolutely love to win. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to need help when, when I can't understand something, when I don't understand either what expectations of me are, or when I don't understand how to do a good job at something or how to win at something, how to be the best at something, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to need someone to, to walk me through and, and audibly talk to me. I struggle sometimes with my PhD work because a lot of it is very solo work. A lot of it is putting my head down and just writing. And I struggle with that. I really love to be able to have a professor that can walk me through it, that can talk with me for a long time until I'm able to understand something. That's where I thrive. But here is what people can expect of me. If I say I'm going to do something, I will do it. When I say I care about something, I deeply care about it. I will do what it takes to make an impact and help people because I see the vision of that. I see the significance of it. That's something that's important to me. So what are these answers for you? And guess what? Your answers are going to be different and they should be. I, one of my very good friends Her giftedness is in accuracy. It's in being right about things. It's in having the ability to think about things for a long time. I am going to struggle if I have to think about a decision for a long time, because for me, it's easier to process quickly than to process over a long period of time, but it's a gift for her. And that's why she's one of the best people on my team and one of my closest friends, because she is strong where I am weak. And that doesn't make me bad. It makes her needed in my life. And it makes me realize I need people like her in my life, just like I'm going to be what someone else needs in their life. And the same is true for you. You have a strength. You have many strengths. You have at least five in the top five when you take the assessment. So focus on what those strengths are and where you can bring value in the world, in your work, in your relationships, and in your family, and to yourself. And then you will do great work. We'll see you on the next episode. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember, it starts with attraction. If you could rate yourself on a one to 10, 10 being extremely confident and one being confidence has fallen out the floor, you don't even know where it is, you can't see it, you can't find it, what number would you be? If you didn't score a perfect 10, that doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It just means that there are areas for improvement. Research suggests that like attracts like. That's why I created the Best Self Course, a 30-day online course designed to help you completely reset everything you thought you knew about attraction, tell you the truth about what real attraction is, help determine your goals, and most of all, achieve them. Click the link to join the course now. It is guaranteed that if you go through this course and apply the principles that I will teach you, then you will see dramatic change in your confidence levels, in how you feel about yourself and how you show up in your relationships with other people and become the best version of yourself. This is not a quick fix. This is a sustainable, long-term self-evaluation accompanied by an action plan 
to help you get back on track and live the life that you want. You work on yourself for you. When we work on our pies, it doesn't just help us become more attractive individuals. It helps us realize that we have worth, that we have value. And as a result, our confidence increases. Our self-esteem goes up. We begin to actually believe in ourselves and realize that we have worth. That is why I created this course, to show you that you matter, that you are valued, and that you can be doing things right now in your life to treat yourself that way, but also to show others that same sort of grace and kindness and confidence in your life. By completing this course, you will become more attractive to those around you, have better relationships with friends and family, become a better person within your career and occupation, find purpose and fulfillment in your life, and so much more. This is not a diet. This is not a workout routine. This is not a trending fad. This is an action plan to bring real life change. Get the first lesson for free when you sign up today. Click the link below to join now.